Wait, did you hear? <gasps> no. We're diving into the juiciest celebrity profiles of all time. I'm Beatrice Hazelhurst. And I'm Ivana Ryder. This, this is Uncover Girl. Girl. Oh, such a cozy day. It's chilly out there, baby. We're in our little sweaters. I know. I don't know if you could call these sweaters. We're in sweatshirts. <laughs> Wait, I don't have headphones on. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Living in the moment. No, raw dogging the pod. <laughs> no. Can, oh, yeah. Okay, gorgeous. there you are. Back. Yeah, I'm back. Back at it. All right. The cords, they're, they're twisted. That's okay. Okay, perfect. Letting oh. people in on the behind the scenes here. <sighs> I felt that felt way too raw. Yeah. Like I was like, I felt we were too. having a conversation a minute ago. And it's now like walking out without a shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are. Nice to see you. Yeah, you too. <sighs> what a whirlwind of a couple of weeks you've had. I know. Truly. And it really feeds into my inspiration if I can just kick it off. Oh, yeah, please. So I, I. <laughs> My inspiration this week is the concept, the experience of the dark night of the soul. The concept, the experience of the dark night of the soul. Yeah. Okay. So the, do you mean rock bottom? Yeah. Well, no. Okay. So this is what I've learned about the dark night of the soul in my research because I felt I had a dark night of the soul this weekend. And I know I'm not alone in that, actually. I went to the rock climbing gym yesterday. We were all in the sauna. Me... Since when do you have a rock climbing gym membership? I don't. I don't. I used to. I used to. I went in college all the time. And then I, before I joined the gym, had a rock climbing membership. So, so Mia Thermopolis of you. I know. Very Mia Thermopolis coded. I know. I was there yesterday. Clay all over me. Um, chalk, not clay. Yeah. My God. Thinking of my pottery days. <laughs> all my hobbies. All your hobbies. At once. <laughs> Women have hobbies. Yeah. That's that. That's a PSA that needs to be said. Yeah, exactly. Um, I saw the rock climbing gym in the sauna and everyone was talking about their weekends and everyone and their mother has had the hardest weekend imaginable. Really? Just people going through substance issues, friends having like terribly traumatic incidents, uh, just like general downtroddenness. And I was thinking about it in that I was like, oh, wow, like it feels like everyone is having a collective dark night of the soul. And then I looked it up. And I thought it meant rock bottom, too. I was like, oh, yeah, it's just like when everything goes absolutely the worst. But I found that it's not that, that it's actually sort of a crisis of faith, a painful period of life that gives way to like a mystical development. <laughs> and I felt very inspired by that because I I'm embracing my dark night of the soul and I really feel like it's not something to try to um, quickly brush under the rug like I'm wont to do. And I just, one, felt inspired by the idea that it's not like it's the pits and then you stay in the pits. It's like, no, no, this is all for something. And I really love that. And it was very, it felt very like community held 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 by community right like everyone's going through yeah. this one collective experience yeah so do you want to explain your dark night the catalyst i mean it's just it's been ongoing and ongoing. a combination of everything i well what it is really is just that i have been freelance 
I have sustained myself off of random assignments here and there for the past five years. And I forget that is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Six years almost now. Whoa. Yeah. And that is remarkable. Like, I think it's worth saying um, for people who aren't super familiar with like media and how it works, like it's very tough to go freelance and a lot of people prefer not to do it. And so they stay in house at magazines and, you know, are on staff, but you know, there comes a time for many of us where you are laid off. There's mm-hmm. circumstances beyond your control. Um, I remember I chose freelance, but it was like one foot in, one foot out. Like I was still looking for other staffing jobs at the time. Yeah. It's like, it almost becomes like a, a last resort. And in recent times with the way that the media is going with just like mass layoffs and all this yeah. kind of like chaos. A brutal week for journalism. Yeah, yeah. Condé layoffs and Vice layoffs and there were more, but I forget. Pop sugar. Yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. So it's like, you see a lot of very talented writers that you know announcing it on Instagram. Like, I'm going freelance, everybody. And it's one thing to try it's another thing to succeed at it it's mm-hmm. really really tough and it can take like years to find your feet and to sustain yourself off of it like it's a lot easier I think if you have like a safety net of some kind some financial safety net for sure where it's like okay well I have options if this doesn't work out and I've just never had that option of it not working out and now I feel like I'm embarking on chapter two of this where I'm looking for something just slightly more stable. I've never, I have not had a job that's 40 hours a week since 2018. Mm. And I think I'd like one. So it's just been that, that full journey, which it has its ups, has its downs, has all these factors that I have no control over. And you know me, I like control. Yeah. So you want the stability of like clock in, clock out yeah. living. I would love that. Okay. I would love that. I see how how everyone else has lived and I want that for myself now. And it's just, it's been silly. It's been a silly little process that I have no control over. Well, it's like the worst time. The way so, in the world. I know. Like I inflation's know. at its peak and and yeah, and it's the money isn't there the way it was even like a year ago, it feels I like. I know. And everyone's budgets are cut. I mean, I think a year ago you were the richest of my friends. You made the most money out of anyone I knew. Yeah. yeah. And it's wild how quickly that can change. Yeah, that's the freelance lifestyle. I know. And it's only because of last year's riches that I was able I've been able to sustain myself in any way. It's like living fully off savings like emergency savings which is like why they're there obviously but we'll see we'll see what happens i know it's 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 tough to maintain that hope and hope is really the only thing that like carries you through exactly it's really like the antidote to the anxiety of it all oh yeah and luckily i feel like generally i do self-identify as an optimist i'm really never like things don't work out and everyone's out to get me like those aren't really thoughts that cross my mind luckily thankfully very grateful for that um so I think that's like really what's keeping me afloat it's just the idea that I'm like no the right thing will come along and I know that in my bones yeah 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 and now it's just a matter of like weathering through until that happens no I think and I think you're right to think that way I think there's no like there's no other way to to process it um but yeah we should say that you know you had five rounds of an interview for a job that we both wanted you to get I so know. badly it was for a very cool women's wear brand yeah and the discount advertised was immense i know and so me picking back piggybacking off of your potential <laughs> role yeah i was very excited i know for us to be dripping and gorgeous 
things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And then in the very last moment, they went with someone more experienced. And it was like, literally, what can you do? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I know. It's true. So, yeah. It's like, it has felt... I'm embracing my little dark night of the soul. And I know that it's come for people at other times. Like I knew friends that after they graduated college had a really hard time. Friends that randomly in the middle, friends during the pandemic. It's like, this is just my time. Everyone has served their time in one way or another. And everyone will serve their time in one way or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in that way, I feel freed. That's me. That's my little melancholy inspiration. That's a good inspiration. What's yours? Mine is, I think, similar in like the collective experience, but it's I'm really leaning into female friendships in Mm -hmm. a way that I feel like uh, a relationship can be so all consuming. And that's by no means the type of person that I've ever wanted to be. But you fall into a trap of like double dates, planning things around your partner. And I've just fully pivoted my perspective in that I'm like, he'll be fine go out I need to go out and do my own thing and that has been it brought me so much joy because I think fundamentally I am a girl's girl there's nothing like being around women to fuel me and empower me and lift me up and that is what I'm experiencing I'm just like meeting these incredible girls who have either achieved so much or they're so excited to like offer me their skill set and like it's like how can I help you and like vice versa Mm. and I think from the outset I was always concerned that those relationships are kind of transactional and what I've learned since is that I think the the human condition is to be happiest when you have these little pockets of people who are like fueling you and serving you in different ways rather than having the really really tight close-knit group of like three or four like we saw on like friends or yeah. new girl you know which I think is something that has been so romanticized in media for such a long time I don't know anyone with that no neither do I With like a true like tight-knit like we're all just friends with this group this yeah. is our friend group Exactly. And it's funny, I I have a close friend when we lived in San Diego who has so much nostalgia for this time during the pandemic where we were like just a little pod. It was like three or four couples. And I and I understand that and I relate to that. But at the time, I felt very quite isolated in that. Like it was comfortable and it was fun and it was nice to know who you're going to call and who you're going to see on a Friday night. But it definitely wasn't stimulating. And mm. I'm so stimulated by like the the little run-ins, the 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 brunches or the drinks with someone who I haven't seen in a in a couple months. And I'm so excited to be returning to that part of myself and and kind of broadening my horizons in that sense. I think I've also gotten weirdly sheltered. It's like I've kind of like devolved into myself a little bit where it's like I have my little routine and I'm happy and I'm happy to see these people that I often see. And, and now I'm like, no, I'm saying yes, I'm going out. It's it's a weeknight. Be damned. Like I, I need to kind of, you know, have that, have that moment where I invite in different energy, different ideas, different backgrounds and experiences and, and learn. And so that's kind of, that's so fun. My inspiration. It's a fun moment. I'm not sure how long it will last. <laughs> no, the yes periods, it's like they live on for how long they live on. Right. Until you're like, I've run myself right. Yes. <laughs> like that's enough yesing for now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's been such a fun little experiment for the past two weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll see kind of what's next. But no, yeah, there's, there's, there's this, idea like of a, this idea of acquaintanceship, I think, is 
a really powerful concept and something that's so often overlooked where people are like, if you don't have these super, super deep connections, then you're not winning, you're not succeeding, but not everyone needs to be in the closest tier. Like no one, no, not everyone needs to be your life sister. Yeah. Yeah. It's just as sustaining to like have a lot of different people in in a lot of different rings of your life. And, and I think that's where I've gone wrong for so long because I am a person that like craves emotional depth and authenticity and yeah, one-to-one need any conversations like we have every week. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like deprioritized the acquaintance mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I want to, I want to have a, a lot of people around me bringing a lot of different things to the table. No, I mean, and it literally keeps you alive longer. Like those interactions yes. with like acquaintances with you know, people on the street with neighbors, with random side characters, if you will, in some way. Yeah. Those are the things that that really can fill you up, especially on days where it's like, oh, I'm feeling off today. You know, I don't have a, a dear friend that's available for like a four hour hangout. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I'm also realizing that I think it's hard to see outside of yourself, but I'm realizing that I'm a certain person to certain people. Like I have a friend who loves to party and don't get me wrong. I love to party, but I cannot party on her level hi Alice (laughs) and (laughs) and she has now kind of identified me and come to me as like the friend that is going to do wholesome activities with like the friend that's gonna draw in the park or knit or you know do something crafty and then she has her other friends who can like keep up with her and go to the rave at 4 a.m till Mm -hmm. 8 a.m you know because that's just I just not gonna be me yeah it's like nice to know that I serve a purpose for other people as well and I mean, you know me. I love to serve a purpose. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also feel like it's inaccurate, the ranking of friends. Right. Like, this is my number one best friend. This is my number two best yes. friend. That's just actually not how human relationships work at all. And I think the when I've run into trouble in female friendships is when it has been so intense. And so like, this yeah. is my numero uno and I spend every moment and everyone else is just periphery. That's when I've really, I mean, I've had two major friendship breakups in my life, which I think we don't talk about enough because friendship mm-hmm. breakups are crippling. Yeah. A lot of them. Compare, I've had one myself. A lot of people are comparing them online to like the woman's Roman empire right now where you'll just be oh, yeah. hit in the gut by a thought of an old friend. And I think I've had, I've had two major ones. They both came in pretty quick succession. And I still think about those girls you know one I'm on more civil terms with one I don't speak to at all but mm-hmm. I think about them all the time of I course. think about what I did memories the fact that maybe ultimately we actually weren't the right fit and maybe our relationship was way too intense and way too passionate and moved way too quickly in a way that was vaguely like romantic you know oh yeah and also maybe it was just that season of your life is that relationship was meant to live only in that season of your life yeah and I think I've run into problems where I've tried to extend things beyond the natural course. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's so alluring to grip, grip hard onto something. Well, you we've talked about this all the time. You're someone who inspires a lot of loyalty and devotion. <laughs> and you, you give that. I mean, literally this weekend, what, you gave a Twilight-themed oh, cake so to a close friend at, a, at her slumber birthday party. You always go above and beyond and... I think what that inspires in others is this feeling of like, and we've talked about it before, this feeling of possessiveness. And and that can be tough if it's not, you know, not even to say mutual, but possessiveness. 
Such an interesting trait. Yeah, in friendship especially because you don't feel deserved of that. I know. And I also, it feels unique to female friendship in some way, which it probably isn't. But it just feels very strong of like, this is my girl. Well, the connections are so powerful. Oh my God. The intimacy that I have with female friends, I mean, they know me. Yeah, yeah. You know me. In like a real deep way where sometimes it's when I'm trying to say something that's not a lie, just an omission. Yeah. And I have like four friends that know me well enough to be like, no, I don't really think that's (laughs) what's going on. Yeah, no, nope. And I'm always like, oh, what? I know because I think your tendency to be always on and to be so aware of not like bringing down the vibe per se. I know. Is like indirect conflict with my obsession with truth telling i know and like both have their place absolutely of course and i think i could probably be more attuned to like (laughs) not right place not right time (laughs) but and i definitely i see a place for small talk absolutely but i've also kind of done away with the bullshit a little bit oh yeah and i i needed to do that especially in this industry right so much of it is dick swinging and like actually i just wrote for the new york times and yeah. gq and did you happen to catch yeah i know haha <laughs> like i just profiled jacob alordi yeah you know and i've done away with it i don't need to pitch myself i don't need to sell myself i'm like actually girls how's everyone doing and exactly that, and that has been so freeing uh, oh no there's nothing like it speaking of profiling jacob alordi <laughs> <laughs> yeah and speaking of someone who is uh Almost painfully true to himself. Yeah, totally. He has a concept of self-identity and he is sticking to it. And this profile, I mean, we've never had turnaround like this. I'm going to say it now. Oh, no. This is- this was published 24 yeah. hours Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. And we, we never do this. we said, we have to do this now. He's having a huge moment. You're about to go see Priscilla. I've seen Priscilla. And I think we've we've referenced him on so many previous episodes that we just yeah. like, have to do it. Yeah. He was in Beatrice's beautiful cookie article oh yes please subscribe to the patreon to learn more about to learn more about him yeah (laughs) and cookies and what he is so i there's nowhere else i'd rather be than discussing this because i have to say i have had a jacob alordi week i went to see priscilla a couple days later i went to see saltburn that was a an invite only situation Yeah, yeah, yeah. For press. And it's Emerald Fennel's new movie of promising young woman fame. And he plays the lead along with Barry Keoghan. He looks amazing in both films. And I witnessed something watching Priscilla, which was so fascinating, which is part of the reason that I wanted to do this so badly. So the story of Priscilla, it's like, let's just start here with what's going on in the culture. Because, you know, we usually are talking about like, oh, what happened in 2002 that sets the tone of this piece. But this is what's happening right now this week, 2023, November. I go into Priscilla knowing that Elvis is a shady character. Music is incredible, extremely talented man, tragic life story. I went in knowing that we were not going to see a sparkling portrait of a, an amazing husband let's say right well i mean he did meet his wife when she was 14 14 yeah 14 which is not good <laughs> it's not good to do that i don't know if the young women in the theater were like aware of what they were about to see because the shock expressed whenever elvis did something wrong was like they were like no what Li- out loud but 
what did happen is that every single time Jacob Elordi came on the screen, I watched in front of me and behind me groups of, I want to say like six gal pals, probably in their teens or early 20s literally grip the seats in front of them and like bite their hands like sit on their hands squealing and grabbing and poking each other okay i've never had a reaction like that to any movies i have you um yes i speaking of twilight i feel like when i saw the twilight movies which i did see in a group of like eight of my friends at the midnight premiere i was like (gasps) about Robert robert pattinson yeah but not okay. Part of it though was the the tribalism of it, the community of, right. of women. Where I was like, okay, we're all having a wild night. Like people are wearing Team Jacob, Team Edward shirts. Like it's time to just like you know play it up for the cameras, if mm. you will. So I don't know if I was alone in the theater <laughs> that I would be like, you know, oh wow. I think the closest I've come was Zac Efron. Totally, but, and I think that's kind of why I've chosen this profession. I've always been a little bit like within and without. Yeah, like, well, you're within- hard to impress. <laughs> and if you are impressed, you're definitely not going to show it in yeah. like an outward way. No, I'm squealing. And but I really struggle with the idea of giving a man that kind of gratification. I know you do. Oh, <laughs> it hurts me. Uh, you're worth squealing and chasing down the street over. And I think, and I don't want to jump into this profile too soon before you're ready. Yeah. But because this is such an anchor for the profile, yes. it comes yes. up on many occasions where this writer is being mobbed by women while she's out with him. I really struggle with reading it because I'm also just like, I I don't want to give a, a, like a guy from Brisbane who for whatever, six, five, it, this much power. Yeah. Understandable because he, he commands that power anyway, which is a part of the reason he was cast in Elvis is because he had lunch with Sofia Coppola. And as he walked into the restaurant, she watched like every girl in the room turn their heads yeah. to gawk. You know, I used to see him every single week, twice a week. On my street in Silver Lake. No way. Constantly. Oh my God. I must have gone to the La Colombe at the bottom of my street coffee shop. And he was just always walking with a book and a tote bag. Uh, My God. The boy loves a tote bag. He loves to read. But I have passed him so many times. And yeah, I absolutely refuse to ever look at him. Of course. Looking at the ground. Looking at the the small man next to him. Giving him a smile, a little wink. (laughs) (laughs) He deserves it. Of course. No, and there's just like a huge thing happening with the books to our previous guest, Sam Leach, wrote a story that sort of went viral, as many of her stories do, about how the hottest thing anyone can do is read with many photos of Jacob Elordi with books sort of stuffed into his cargo pants. I'm so fascinated to think about what those boys are thinking about when they meet you. Like, I just met a very famous influencer completely by chance was introduced to him uh, by a mutual friend 26 million followers right mm-hmm. he was in the sean mendez group of influencers mm-hmm. sean I, mendez he was in sean mendez's vine oh, class no way yeah Wait, what yeah he was no he way. was the one who was more famous than sean mendez. oh my god yeah fascinating yeah cameron dallas is his name yeah 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 but i met him the other day and i couldn't quite place him and then he was introduced to me as cam And I watched him watch me for recognition of him. Mm. And obviously these men have are heartthrobs. They've been told they're so attractive for most of their lives. And you are thinking like, this man is prettier than me. Does he think I'm even worth his time Mm -hmm. to stand here and have this conversation with? Is he even aware 
of me in this conversation or is he only aware of me in the sense it relates to him yeah like looking through you looking through me to think of like how me a layman is perceiving him yeah rather than perceiving me this is what i feel when i'm around like men who are this elevated for being beautiful completely completely and i feel like you'd have to push through that as one of these men to not go through life that way yeah you would have to do work and i can't get a gauge of whether or not he's done that i don't know i okay we we can't get to the end final impressions no save that we'll save that we'll save that and i do want to talk about the writer who is someone that i oh my god love so much obsessed with her work read truly everything that she puts out um gabriella paella it rhymes yeah um who is a (laughs) gene who is a senior staff writer at GQ. But she's also a genius. Yeah, and a genius. (laughs) She's profiled everyone from Jeremy Strong to like Nicolas Cage to Zoe Kravitz. I think her voice is always so distinct and it comes through here in a way that really takes us, the reader, through his whole kind of rise to fame and how he feels about it. Because we're talking about a couple years here where all of this has happened to Jacob Elordi. Yeah, absolutely. He had his breakout in the kissing booth in 2018. I know. And when I was seeing him walk up and down the street, up and down the street, it was Christmas 2021. Wow. So it's literally been two years to the point that he now can't step out in public. No, of course. And he's photographed everywhere. He has a bag on his arm at all times, designer, a collection that... I mean, would make any woman cry. Truly. And so to give you a little background on Elordi, as you said, he's from Brisbane in Australia and he has three oldest sisters and didn't, it wasn't one of the kids that's like, I'm off to Hollywood um, until he got a role in like a, a musical in his town and people saw talent in him. He was kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. He was also randomly um, an extra on Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, wow. Dead Men Tell No Tales. I know. That was his first time on a Hollywood set. How old was he? Um, he young. Super young. Yeah. I think it was like, you know, one of the children on, on shore. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> one of those dirty One children. of those. Yeah. <laughs> and so he then in 2018 was in two movies, an Australian movie called Swinging Safari, not familiar, and The Kissing Booth, which became a huge Netflix YA sensation yeah him and noah centineo were truly the boys about town exactly to know them was to love them and they were just like heart throbs in the most classic sense well they were positioned that way of course they were such unreal characters totally one-dimensional which we love and i'm going back to the twilight thing that's like exactly what alert that's when you have 13 year old girls on your side it's an army Samantha Jones, the girls, the gays, the industry. That's the way. The gays, the girls, the industry? No. No. It is the 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 girls. Wait, no. First the gays, then then the the girls, girls, then then the the industry. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So smart. So smart and so true. Brilliant to this day. She knows exactly what she's doing. But it's like, it's interesting. I think when you get that breakout part in something like The Kissing Booth Mm -hmm. or what was Noah Centineo in? Oh, to all the boys I've loved before. Yeah. Yeah. There's no other way around it. Like you can't. If he was to start with character actor roles, do you think that the response would be the same? No, I don't think so either. Because it's like, oh, I'm watching Euphoria because I saw that guy in the kissing booth, which like, you know, I'm sure people watch Euphoria for a variety of reasons. And this was sort of, I think, his real breakout where people were like, oh, he's got the chops because in the kissing booth, obviously, we're not talking about a tortured character, but we're talking about. Definitely lovable, charming, euphoria, 
in the role of Nate Jacobs, he really brought the heat. I found. I found. Well, yeah, and I do you think he will have outgrown the show for season three? I'm like, I wonder when oh, people yeah. get on the movie Star Trek this hard. It, I think it becomes pretty untenable to go back to a show for eight months. I know. Well, I mean Zendaya and like Dune. True. 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 And That's that way, like, point. I think she is by far and the biggest Sydney star. Sweeney. And Sydney Sweeney. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, but this has all sort of happened as the show has unfolded. Um, Zendaya has been relevant forever, but Sydney Sweeney, Jacob Elordi, everyone has found real stardom in the course of the seasons, I feel like. And their stars are only rising. And Jacob, I mean, is just having an absolutely huge month, I think, with Priscilla out and Saltburn coming. He's poised to really take it to the next level. Do you want to get into your Saltburn thoughts now or do you want to save? I want to save. Okay. I want to say we are diving in. The headline reads, How Jacob Elordi Became the New King. Euphoria made him Gen Z's favorite heartthrob. Now, with a breakout role as Elvis, Jacob Elordi is transforming into something more. A bona fide movie star. GQ 2023. And I honestly think I just have to read the opening as is. Because it, I mean, it puts together everything we've been talking about. The girls are hyperventilating. It happens spontaneously as if activated by an aberration in the Earth's magnetic field. A blonde at nine o'clock lowers her sunglasses, cartoon wolf eyes popping out of her head. Oh my God, she exhales, laughing as if she can't quite believe what she's staring at. That would be all six feet, five inches of Jacob Elordi. Not so much a tall drink of water as the entire office water cooler. Despite, or perhaps because of, his gargantuan shades, James Dean death cult cap pulled low, and zipped-up khaki St. Laurent jacket, the young actor is unmissable while strolling through the West Village of Manhattan this fall Saturday afternoon. Sure enough, a pair of 20-something women slink behind him with secret agent stealth. Do you want me to read? Do do we do a dialogue? I think we do. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I'm the blonde, you're the brunette. Okay, great. (laughs) Jacob, oh my god, hello? Can I take a photo with you? Thank you, says the brunette. We're huge fans, the blonde explains. I'm like shaking. Brunette adds. <laughs> a photo is taken, pleasantries are exchanged, and it's time to part ways. But not before the brunette, overcome in the moment, just has to tell him. You're beautiful. Here we open. He is 26. He has been in the States now for a quarter of that time. Mm-hmm. And I, the way that she describes his voice. And you don't usually get this in profiles in this era. Like this feels a real like a callback to profiles of Days Gone. But the way that he speaks in these like hushed, deep tones, all of it really goes into painting the picture that is, this is the new movie star of our generation. Totally. A lot of the references here to the Marlon Brandos, to... Paul Newman. Exactly. We're we're sort of traveling back in time with Jacob. And it seems as though he has really studied these men, both their work as actors, but also I found so interesting their approach to interviews and sort of what they let on, what they don't, and how there is really something to be said about mystery, which would you... Describe him as mysterious. Yeah, I think that's what he's he's going for yeah. and he achieves. I found it really funny how many references there were to these, yeah, MGM era 50s movie stars that are famously gay. Yeah. Like Marlon Brando, James Dean, Montgomery Cliff. These are the, like the statues of masculinity of, of the time and so mysterious. I just found that a funny part of it because it's like that's kind of who he's going for or what he's trying to emanate. 
for me, anyone that can do mystery is a mystery to me because it's something that no one would ever describe me that way. I'd describe you as mysterious. Mysterious? Yeah. I think you leave a lot unsaid. I guess. I think you're a bit too warm to be mysterious. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm leaving a party and someone is like, that girl was so mysterious. Right, right. I think that also women aren't afforded the ability to be mysterious. No, you would just be labeled a bitch. Yeah. And it's like, if you choose to do that, <laughs> honest, my hat off to you. Yeah, yeah. You're the black cat or whatever it is. Oh, it's really hard. You have to really decide. I don't care. Most people will have a problem with this. But that's fine. Right. It's a real commitment to the bit. Yeah. Because I also just don't think people in real life tend to be that mysterious. Because everyone ultimately wants to feel seen. Yeah. Which doesn't leave a lot of room for mystery. That's so true. I know. I think it's a gimmick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really, I'm really coming into this episode with fun and light. Dragging it down. No. To the depths of the Hudson. No. Absolutely not. No. It's, it's, It's a come as you are got to add a disclaimer i'm in the true grips of tall poppy syndrome right now really well i'm also from this part of the world and to see someone have this kind of meteoric rise at this rate at this age yeah from australia new zealand is always going to spark something in me that i just cannot shake we were raised with it it's like no one should fly this high we're like warning tall poppy syndrome in effect (laughs) for full duration here i know in that sense my my inclination is to chop him down yeah but i'm not gonna do it no not even gonna grace yeah head of the poppy you pushing through your socialization yeah exactly the way you were raised i mean incredible thank you growth (laughs) gq's profiling jacob because priscilla's coming out saltburn he's sort of doing that that classic movie star thing where you have two huge movies coming out at the same time you know mean girls and the notebook where it's sort of like okay now it's undeniable they can do it all yeah she talks to so many incredible directors also through the course of this sophia coppola paul schrader she's she's in with them and they're all talking about jacob there's been a lot of talk on the internet of jacob lordy versus austin butler and their two various elvises I do think that that is somewhat of an unfair comparison because the movies were doing two completely different things Mm -hmm. One was full biopic, like stylized biopic. Exactly. And as much as I want to pile on to Austin Butler and make fun of how silly he is, it makes me sad. It makes me sad. I mean, the the boy didn't speak to his family for three years. I know. He lived in that role. He breathed that role. And Jacob Elordi was sort of outspoken about the fact that his entree into Elvis Presley was through the film Lilo and Stitch. Right, right. And then obviously did a lot of research. Yes, and I think that's, that was an unfair headline. Yes, they left out. They, they left out the fact that he had a diary dedicated to and, and was ordering tapes off eBay and was doing all the work that it, needed to be done. Exactly. Just exactly. probably not to the same level of intensity as yeah. an Austin Butler. Exactly. And now he's about to come up with Saltburn. And I will share my thoughts now, okay. which is just that the movie is about how hot Jacob Elordi is in many ways. There is obviously a story to it. And it. I was really excited to see it because I was interested to see what Emerald Fennel would do next. I wasn't in love with Promising Young Woman by any means. I really liked it. And we differ there. And that's totally fine. That's totally fine. I think also she has like a really interesting eye. And Saltburn was gripping. It just felt a lot of the story got lost in sort of the shock value of like, let's do something wild here at this juncture. The premise is basically 
a scholarship student starts attending Oxford and befriends sort of the most popular guy in school played by Jacob Elordi, who is not only beloved, but also incredibly wealthy and has a family mansion that... An aristocrat. Yes. He can sort of retreat to every summer to vacation. And the scholarship student manages to hitch a ride along and Jacob Elordi invites him to go summer with his family in this beautiful place. And then they have this wild summer together and um, things do not go well uh, for the aristocrats. So got it. Okay. Um, intriguing. It, very intriguing. I want to watch. Exactly. And I, I love the idea of, you know, aristocracy and the British like country home mm. and class divides i thought it was like a really interesting premise and the actors were honestly great everyone everyone killed it in that regard especially jacob i do think that a similar thing will occur where the young women will flock solely to watch him like oiled poolside reading and looking amazing with a eyebrow piercing which he's truly the only person i've ever seen pull it off so <laughs> on screen i he's never really done it for me in that way yeah but in person i think he's far more like shocking to take in and so much of it I, you cannot deny and for me personally this is a big part is he has like impeccable style yeah like such great style and that elevates the level of hotness just into the tens yeah you know oh of course it really brings a lot yeah so i think he's for me he's far more compelling in person which is why i can see how so many directors referenced here and teen girls alike were just absolutely frothing him when they saw him in real life exactly exactly and there is this sort of conversation about his star power so um gabriella also interviews paul schrader incredible director uh because alordi is starring in oh canada um his new movie where he's playing actually a younger version of richard gear i know so which cool i i'm so curious like how that's all gonna work out but paul schrader basically talks about how he saw a lot of the same qualities that Gear has in Jacob. Schrader says he's a throwback in a way to a kind of old time movie star. He put a Lordy in a vintage suit from the 50s one day and saw the spitting image of Gary Cooper, a larger than life silver screen persona, the strong silent type. Schrader says the central thing that makes a movie star is mystery. A lot of good looking kids tend to be in movies, but not that many get to be stars. Right. So true. And he is moving into star territory. Yeah. And so Elordi, this is where he talks about how he's always idolized old Hollywood. James Dean, Marlon Brando, Steve McQueen. He meticulously studied his forebearers' work, their influence, and even how they handled themselves in interviews. Now, Elordi finds himself negotiating his own hassles and concerns that come with stardom. I thought this was so fascinating. When she talks about how obviously his fans are invested in his personal relationships, she says, he shuts down any question about his romantic life with a cheeky, but I appreciate you giving me the space. Which is such a graceful way well, to not I, answer that question. I don't even, I didn't quite understand it. I appreciate you giving me the space to not answer? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's sort of like, thank you for not bringing that up. Oh, but she has brought it up. Yeah, so I'm like, huh? Usually you're given space to, to talk. No, I feel like... Or I, is he saying giving me the runway? No, I think like the space. Like, thank you for giving me oh, space. Oh, so giving me space, giving me distance. Yeah, giving me distance, giving me... Oh, okay. Permission I to... I'm sure she would love that question answered. But yeah. the way he's responded is like very tactful. It's funny. I asked this question yesterday. You to did. To an interviewee. Yeah, to a comedian that I find 
like quite attractive mm-hmm. and i was like oh my god here i am falling into the trap but i was asking him about the the parasocial relationship with his audience both like online and doing stand-up and how people try and almost like get to know him and befriend him and like go out with him via heckling because mm-hmm. they feel so close to him and he answered like very frankly and like the romantic element of it all it's tough to ask but i'm so interested not necessarily like his the nuances of him dating olivia jade and what their relationship looks like but more like how is it dating yeah for you when you are beloved and obsessed over by women everywhere does that threaden the security of your relationship like that's oh what yeah I, and that's i'd love what I to know. know that i feel like that you can answer that without giving too much away like it's more like the psychological impact of this environment but i feel like also that question is more olivia jade's to answer it's like what we're asking is like how is she taking it sort of versus like how are you dealing how are you dealing with it yeah but to affect one part of the relationship is to affect both oh yeah i think he's too he's clearly aware because he talks about the foreverness of an interview of a profile he's aware that what he says will be written down and then go into the record. And like he talks about, he has a couple tattoos, one of a little heart, one of like the the theater masks and how as soon as he got them, he regretted it and wanted them gone. Right. And how he doesn't want to be pinned down in that way. And he knows, obviously, when he gives an interview, whatever is published gets etched into the skin of the internet. Well, there's a lot of pinning down. I think that's already happening. And that oh, is yeah. almost like self-inflicted in a way because... I mean, he's got the book, he's got the film camera, (laughs) he's got the little bag that's carrying his extra rolls of film. You know, he's wearing the hat and the glasses and the leather jacket. Like, he is art bro to an absolute T. And that's, I think, why I also find their relationship so fascinating, because she is the polar opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Like, she is valley girl vlogger influencer in the truest sense of the word who was embroiled in a college admissions scandal because she didn't get in. So it's like, how did those two people align? I, I, I want to know. Definitely I, I want to know. But she talks about how Jacob Elordi, Gabriella writes, deeply values his privacy, even as every outing can result in tabloid photos. Sure, the public has been obsessed with movie stars since they invented movie stars, but at least those guys could have some mystique. How the hell do you maintain mystique when the world around you is at one big endless TikTok feed? So true. And it's hard. The interesting thing about him is that he does have social media. No, he's not completely immune. He's aware that he's being perceived. But and, but it's a very well curated feed. It's vintage. It's archival imagery. It's like film footage. And it's promotional material only. Yeah. Oh, and book passages. Sorry. Oh, cool. Love that. Um, <laughs> I love that. And the way that him and Kaylee um, Spani, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but she plays Priscilla in the movie. There are so many gorgeous images throughout this profile. The way that they met when they were like, okay, we're both going to be the leads. Like, you know, we should obviously spend time together. They decided to go ride horses together. Of course, he had like a really dramatic moment with the horse and was like one with it and nature. They're both animal people. So were Priscilla and Elvis, I guess. And then Coppola also brings up other classic movie stars because she talks about how masculine Jacob is and that this is where I find it so interesting and at odds with the homosexuality component. Oh, like, of she those... compares him to the stars of the age that were all gay. I don't know about Monty Clift. Who died of AIDS? Rock Hudson. 
Rock Hudson. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Okay, so maybe Montgomery Clift wasn't gay. Mm. Montgomery Clift gay? <laughs> <laughs> he informed his psychiatrist he was homosexual and struggling to cope in therapy in the 1950s. Why go, is that baby. public record? Why is that public record? It's on Wikipedia. It must be true. Oh, in Vanity Fair, the long suicide of Montgomery Clift. Wow. The unspoken truth was that Clift was gay. All revelations of his sexuality did not emerge to the 70s. Wow. There you go. I'm telling there, you. Yeah. They, no, it's true. It's yeah. true. And I mean, we look at the world. Most people are queer. And we're, of course, not saying that Jacob Lordy is. It is just that these stars were famously... Wishful thinking. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I know a few boys in my life who would weep at the chance. I don't know. <laughs> Fall to their knees yeah. in more ways than one. I know. Exactly. But it's true. It's There's this hyper-masculinity there that yeah, is that's not... so upheld. And yes. that's what I think I'm struggling with. It's like, why is that even <sighs> pedestalized? Yeah, yeah. Why is it pedestalized? I don't know. I mean... When I look at who is famous today, who were the other heartthrobs of today, would you say? Like the Ryan Goslings? Yeah. Like they're all a little bit older. I know. Probably. That's the thing. I'm trying to think of like the 20s, the people who are in their 20s now and are heartthrobs. Yeah. I think like not Russ Butler. Um, like Noah Centineo is one. Yeah. Maybe the yeah. Sprouses. The Sprouses. <laughs> yeah. I guess they really are here to stay. Uh, the Riverdales. Yeah, the Riverdale kids, yeah. like the KJ Appers. Yeah. Yeah. They're so ripped. All of them are so ripped. I know. Which is why it's so silly. They're That's another thing I'm so course. ready to be done away with. Yeah. It's like the washboard abs on like the teen kids. Like just because I, I see now firsthand like how it affects men. And it's like not good. It's not no. good. I know. Especially that anyone thinks that they can do that at 16. It's yeah. like you, can- you literally can't. Like um, Glenn... Like Sydney Sweeney, Glenn. Yes, Glenn Powell. Powell. Like Glenn Powell, just on the cover of Men's Health, absolutely shredded. Yeah. And the the work that goes into that, not to mention like the medication, mm-hmm. is so extensive. Yeah. And it's just like, I just don't think this is fair on men. I mean, women, we've dealt with this for a while. I think we can kind of filter out what's real and what's not and what's achievable and what's not to some extent. I know. I think we're always comparing ourselves to better versions of ourselves. Yeah. Fundamentally. Not as much other women. What do you think? Maybe it's a bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. I also think it has to do with your education generally. Right. I think for someone that doesn't know about like fitness and nutrition in any way. You or do Facetune. Read, yeah. Or Facetune. You do read an article or see an Instagram photo. And like you remember all the articles that used to be in 17 that were like every day I wake up and I eat seven almonds. Right. And that's how I keep my figure. And I just do yoga. And yeah. it's like. um. But yeah. yeah, I think it's now affecting a new generation of men. And I just like. That's the thing. These 50s movie stars, they weren't inordinately buff. No. They were farmhand buff. (laughs) Oof. And that's good. I know. And the women, I mean, Marilyn Monroe was like a size eight or whatever it might be. In those. In those. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Now she'd be like a size size two. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah. That's how it works. Look at me peddling misinformation. But she did used to lift weights. Yeah. I know. I've seen some really cute photos of her lifting weights. So cute. God bless her. I know. This is relevant only in the sense of Elvis kind of forced him to develop a little pooch. Yeah, exactly. And what he says in response. I know. When he talks about eating the Uber Eatsing. Yes. Yes. Wait. I need to find it. When he says, it was the first time ever in my life I had a gut. His eyes glimmer. No, wait. Oh. He says, pleased. 
Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the first time ever in my life I had a gut. He says, please, his eyes glimmer almost in a reverie when he recalls the process. I know that kills me. Imagine being like, oh, it's so tough to gain weight. That it was so exciting to finally have a gut. I know. It's like, yeah. Uh, I mean, in some ways, the pretty privilege. I love my little pooch. Yeah. Which is good for him. He ate a pound of bacon to do it every day, and he ate a lot of hamburgers. Yeah, poutine, hamburgers, had Italian, then would have a burger to kind of wash it down. So fun. And he does address Austin here, which like I, it was pull quoted to Hill from this article, where he says, when the writer obviously asks, like, pretty daunting to do the second Elvis in one year. Right. And he said, it certainly crossed my mind before I'd read the script. I didn't want to tell the same story over, especially because he did such a fine job portraying this man. It's a completely different thing. And it's terribly exciting too. running into the fire a little bit. I can't think of anything more exhilarating. I mean, speaking of the 50s and the vernacular of the time, he loves the adjective fine. Yeah. He describes his mother as like the finest woman in the world, which I'm kind of like, hmm, (laughs) fine is all over the place, but... I mean, he does get kudos here, and it, this has been said over and over again, but Priscilla Presley was like, he got the voice right. And he says that once he got the voice, that was like everything he needed to get. And then the parentheses. Gabriella absolutely knew what she was doing. She writes afterwards. I know. His voice bears no traces of Elvis speak today. <laughs> Gabriella, we see you. <laughs> we know exactly what you're doing. Absolutely. Got Austin Butler by the throat there. Yeah, guns fired. I really can't imagine what's going on with him these days. Oh, I, I mean, it, think. I, it really feels like a tailspin kind of moment. I know. And also, and we've brought this up before, but like the Jacob dating Kaya and then getting the part of Elvis and Austin getting the part of Elvis and then dating Kaya. Yeah. It's very weird. I know. It's Yeah, strange. those two are sort of... And also Jacob and Kaya dressed up as Priscilla and Elvis. I know. No, it's, it's like a way... Weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, foreshadowing yeah. of it all is yeah. just too close for comfort. It feels like how the Halloween before I got the job at Vogue, I dressed up as Anna Wintour for Halloween. Really? Yeah. Isn't that wild? I didn't know that. I'm Cher's personal assistant in one month's time. <laughs> That's what I dressed up as this year. Oh, I hope I get closer to Jessica Simpson. Oh, my God. Yeah. Please, Lord. A profile of something. A profile of yeah, Jessica Simpson. Oh, my God. I would love it. Yeah, you would. Here we are. He's done Elvis. He's proud of it. And then Gabriella sort of gets into his background and how it wasn't until he was in The Cat in the Hat production of Susicle <laughs> that he was like, okay, I could do this. And yeah, he loves his mom loves his mom always talks about her and calls her the finest person i know he's been working on his american accent since he was very young 14 and i thought this part was sweet where he was like i was just really trying to mimic people that i thought were cool and she asks like who and he says probably vin diesel the coolest man i know i know that's no coolest man alive and here we get into the kissing booth and there's actually been some controversy about a little bit of rumbling. Yes. Yeah. About his I wouldn't call it controversy. Rumblings is way better. Because a lot of the YA gals are just generally like, please don't do this. Please do not take this away from us. Take this away from us, become famous, and then turn around and say, I'm so embarrassed by what I did. So what he says is I didn't want to make those movies before I made those movies. Those movies are ridiculous. They're not universal. They're an escape. Which is true. You don't watch those movies for the same reason you would watch 
Saving Private Ryan, but those two movies can exist at the same time and both matter in some way. I mean, you can have a little bit of 12 Angry Men and yeah. a bit of Kissing Booth for dessert. Exactly. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing at all. I also found it funny how he used the word escape as like a denigration. Like yeah. he used escape as like an insult where it's like, yeah, all of this stuff is an escape from Twilight to Gossip Girl. Being a teen is hard enough. It's fun to imagine that you might end up with the bad boy jock who goes to Harvard. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel like also there's just always a pattern of YA things not being taken seriously and I being know. treated as guilty pleasures, like all things that women love. So, yeah, I didn't I'll, like I'll this. say it. To all the boys I loved before, incredible film. Right. Incredible film. It had stakes. It had emotion it had chemistry it had it all and in that way what more can we really ask for i just are you referring to two all the boys i love before or the kissing booth to all the boys i love oh you didn't have to change them no i didn't no i didn't kissing booth i thought was it was okay kissing (laughs) booth was not good yeah it, it wasn't great but it also wasn't so bad and i don't i would never get on here and talk about how embarrassing ya is because I think that's embarrassing to do. No, and it's like we've seen this whole resurgence of Twilight as cult classic indie cinema. Exactly. And during the time, oh my God, there wasn't a person in town that wanted to claim that as their identity. No, especially men. I feel like love to be like, ew. Right. So embarrassing. And all Robert Pattinson did in every interview was shit on it. I know. I know. What a complicated time. So he talks about how this is sort of the, you know, the idea of one for them, one for me, of like, I'll give one to the masses, to the industry, and then I'll do one that nourishes my artistic spirit, of which he really does have one. He clearly has artistic ambitions and wants to be in movies that he wants to watch. And I'm excited to see the forthcoming slate because I think he's capable a lot. I think he's really talented. So he talks about how The Kissing Booth was very much one for them. And uh, he's afraid he doesn't want it to become a trap where it becomes 15 for them, none for you. Can you explain this for me? His quote is that he's finally working with the directors he loves. Scripts are coming to him that he appreciates. And he says, that's probably why I'm so happy. Because now judgment and comments on the internet and stuff, it's I'm in the movie now. What is what does that mean? I feel like it feels like he's arrived to the big kids table in some way. It actually really doesn't matter what people are saying because he's above it. Because he superseded he's, it. Yeah, he's doing the things he wants to be doing. It do, the chatter doesn't affect him as much. It's like when you're in the kissing booth and you're hoping for a big break that you really care about. The chatter matters. Like you have to pay attention to the chatter. Right. The chatter makes or breaks you in some way. And now it's like the chatter floats underneath his actual ambitions, which are just to be in things that he's really proud of. And they're wandering around the West Village. They run into a friend of his across the road who's like a very cool artist and they play pool together. And, you know, it's sort of surreal. And back when Jacob was just starting out, he stayed on this friend's couch who um, he's a painter named Marco Ristic. They got very close in almost like a childlike way. Speaking of your little friendship inspiration, I was very moved by their little tale of love where Jacob stayed on his couch and they sort of stayed up late, like talking together and getting close. And he talks about how that is a rarity in the U.S. and how it can be really hard and isolating, especially in Los Angeles, to make friends. And there is a quote which honestly reads as poetry to me where Elordi says, If Australians are like freshwater fish, Americans are saltwater fish. It kind of looks the same. The water is water. You're swimming around, but you can't breathe. Okay, poet. Yeah. I mean, 
Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he, he goes on to say that like, the isolation in LA specifically, which is what we've touched on before, is a big thing. He's like, when I first moved here, everyone was very closed in on themselves. It seems like ordering a coffee was like a standoff. That I greatly relate to when you're waiting in line and like the tensions are high. But I find Americans so much nicer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time in various parts of Australia. So I can't really tell you the cultural differences between like a Sydney and a Melbourne and a Brisbane, although I've heard they are vast, but I find Americans so nice, like (laughs) so, so, so nice and so warm and so kind of unnecessarily warm. And when I go home, I get incredibly homesick for America because of how British and stiff upper lip and yeah, cold, people can be and I'm like referring to my my hometown I mean it's kind of different in big cities Mm -hmm. but I mean it's funny because that's what he's talking about that's what he thinks Los Angeles is and I don't really relate to that at all I do agree that it's clicky everyone has their groups and because the city is so enormous you kind of stay within your little realm and that can be hard to penetrate I mean it clearly it makes him homesick like he tries to go back to Australia whenever he can See, that's so interesting to me. I have the complete opposite experience. Like now when I go home, I want to come back here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, welcome to your new home. (laughs) And then we get to this part where it almost feels meta that we're discussing a profile where then Elordi brings up his favorite profile, which is Truman Capote's 1957 New Yorker profile of Marlon Brando. Okay. And let us know if you want us to do this profile because we can, but it's very heady, cerebral, and I think like 10,000 words. Yeah. But it is incredible. Incredible. And one of the OG profiles and so famous because Truman Capote arrived on Marlon Brando's doorstep and shows up with like a bottle of vodka and they shoot the shit into the wee hours. And then Basically, he skewers him in the profile. And Marlon Brando says, get me that writer. I'm going to wring his neck pretty yeah. much in the, in the aftermath. And when the writer shares that famously Marlon Brando hated that profile, he can't help but have a little giggle. He's an uggo. He is an uggo. He, he loves, loves the profile. profile. <laughs> Who doesn't? And I love that he recognizes its power mm-hmm. and its prose and how it is an, an art form. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he talks sort of at this juncture about how he's not really interested in a superhero franchise. Which is the next, obviously, Mm -hmm. rung on the ladder. Yeah, I would say so. It's sort of like you're in something like very critically acclaimed, and then you're in a big blockbuster of some kind, and then you become a superhero. He was asked to read for Superman. And he was like, it's too dark. Sorry. And he sort of, you know, just a little like wink of like, my agent wouldn't like this. You know, so I have to say something along the lines of like, anything can happen. But at this stage, Jacob says, I don't see myself having any interest in that. I like to make what I would watch. And I get very restless watching those movies, which I understand. When I watch those movies, I'm like, too many colors. Overstimulated. I'm I'm overstimulated. Yeah, I understand that. 4,000 things happening. And like, also randomly, it's like, Selma Hayek is in this? I know. What? And when there's just like a little bit of humanity, like a little bit of a joke or a wink, you just cling on to it with such ferocity. Yes. I just want to watch a movie about people. I know. I know. And then after that, he sort of confronts the allegations that he might be pretentious as i mean at this point it's like okay so he shit on the kissing booth in ya he's like that is not art 
he's shit on the superhero movies in some way of like, I would never, it's, I'm not interested in that. And so of course he sort of has to go through of like, is he pretentious? Is he not? And how he responds is, how is caring about your output pretentious, but not caring and knowingly feeding people shit, knowing that you're making money off of people's time, which is literally the most valuable thing they have. How is that the cool thing? I think it's an oversimplification and it's not on him to judge how people want to spend their time. Exactly. Feeding them shit. Yeah. What if they want to eat it? What, <laughs> what if they love the What taste? if they love it? <laughs> some of it? Some of the things he says are incredibly profound and some things really show his age. Yeah. I feel like not everything needs to be deep as the ocean commentary on the world and society as we know it. Yeah. There's absolutely room for escapism. And I think that he may come to, and maybe this is why he hates interviews because he'll come back to this in three or four years time and be like, Oh my God, who did I think I was? Mm-hmm. You know, but which who doesn't feel that way about themselves absolutely. in their early twenties. Yeah. I can't even listen to an old recording of myself without no. wanting to die. Oh yeah. I actually can't fathom what I would hear if I listened to like an old, one of like my first interviews. Oh, Oh my god, that is my so idea scary. of torture. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, the ways that I would try to like you know extend olive branches, harrowing, <laughs> harrowing. But the thing is, with all of this, he is aware of how he's being perceived, right? And I think nothing is a better visual representation than Jacob's bags, right? Which she gets into, and thank God, because you and I have sat privately and asked, where is? he getting these bags no we sat publicly yeah we recorded oh, we did. that conversation oh my god yeah. it's all on the record we were like is does he have a stylist is he being sent is them? being sent them yeah of course and then we figured yes that was our conclusion he's being sent them he's not going out and shopping for a and Chanel choosing bag. and saying right. like i think it's the smaller fendi that will really make everyone go wild and <laughs> exactly. confirmed here confirmed yeah. here by gabriella doing the hard-hitting investigative work to figure out because it's true his collection is incredible bottegas fendi crossbody bags valentinos like interesting amazing cool bags and he says it's one that he really does use them it's deliberate he loses stuff a lot and where he grew up we were in a culture where you wore bum bags fanny packs when i leave home i need to have certain things from every category with me in case i get bored a book a notepad rolls of film a camera a pen you know how it goes when you're an artist um but then this is where it comes through i never bought a bag he says finally maybe that should be something that is exposed about hollywood all these people think i wish i had that lifestyle i mean yes to get them for free that's great what a great lifestyle but people that have all this money aren't spending it you get sent stuff it blows my mind yeah it really brings me back to that keeping up with the kardashian scene when you know, Kim opens her mail and sees a free yoga studio membership. And Scott Disick is like, oh, my God, that's great because you would never have been able to afford it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's so it's so real. I mean, yeah. we get sent a lot of stuff as press and that offsets like the cripplingly low rate yeah. that you get paid for each article. But to be, you know, this wealthy and successful or visible and get stuff for free it does feel like an oxymoron yeah it's sort of ridiculous i know you don't have to pay you're for the any- one person who can afford it on the planet yeah designer like truly like high fashion clothes four thousand a garment free. free free for you yeah for us we pay four thousand we'll save up <laughs> but we're back to the teenage girls kind of I know. like this is what punctuates every single part of the profile is yeah. that 
there are screaming teens wherever he goes. He, he kind can't of get can't away. escape them. Yes. And in the same breath, he's experiencing like a heightened sense of, I guess you would say kind of paranoia with, with the paparazzi. Mm-hmm. Like he's actively like, fuck those guys, really fuck those guys. And he wants that on record. And... Gabriella, to her credit, references the paparazzi pic from earlier this year when yeah. he was photographed barefoot. It spurned the phrase barefoot boy summer. And he was like, I was in Malibu. I'd just been surfing. And people are like, ooh, that's LA. Aren't there crack pipes on the ground? No, dude. LA is not just fucking syringes and crack pipes laying around. I get spread so- the word. I find that so annoying when people talk like that. Oh my God, I know. Especially just about cities. I'm like, yeah, you're just like, ooh, homeless. Oh, like it drives me crazy. It is the biggest immediate red flag because it is wild how comfortable people feel saying things like that. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, it's such a and I'm like, oh, oh, and now I know something about you. Like I get defensive of the city. I'm like, what? Like, where are the resources? How are you contributing to help like this problem? Have you helped anyone today? (laughs) They're living in San Diego. I know. I know. And that's always, it's always the San Diegans that have something to say. It is. It is. Because like San Diego is so much nicer and it's just two hours south. Have you thought about living in San Diego? And it's like, yeah, I did. (laughs) And I don't want it. And I don't want it. I don't want it. I'll burn every palm tree I see. (laughs) (laughs) Just just an energy. Just just because. (laughs) Because I'm I'm out of my mind. He has some perspective, at least. No, it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. no, it's my favorite part of the profile, hands down. Yeah, it is. It's good. It feels like a yeah, like a something slipped, something real slipped. And then I absolutely love. How I love it ends. this part. Wait, oh. I love this entire part. Is this the banana on the YouTube? Yes. Oh no, my it's, god, it's my favorite part. Of it's, the- incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. It it ends with such a bang, and I love it. It feels like you know they're they're are so many great people quoted in this. He has some really, you know, shining quotes, I feel like. And I feel like she really captures his essence in an interesting way while still leaving a lot to the imagination. Right. But where I think it just becomes, it really could not be any better is the banana bit. Right. Banana bit at the end, which is, (laughs) and this feels personal to me because I've been on the other end of these junkets where I'm asking actors to play games with me. And it's, it is demoralizing to all involved. Yeah. Even I'm sure the cameraman is like, oh, this is this is not what you want. This is not what you want to be happening. Nobody wants it. But with the advent of the hot ones, of chicken shop date, of, you know, celebrity trivia, the lie detectors, all of those things have put us in a place where we desperately want celebrities to do something entertaining in front of us. We need a gimmick. We need a gimmick. Well, they're too media trained. I know. It's like true. people used to go on talk shows and run their mouth. Like that's I not know. happening anymore. No, never in a million years. So this is where Jacob sort of talks about, you know, when he dreamed of being an actor, the paparazzi, the red carpets, all of that, you know. Made, he understood. He understood. Of course, you know what you're signing up for. But it was some of the other logistical stuff that he had no idea about. The press junkets, the conceptual YouTube videos about how well he knows his co-stars. <laughs> Gabriella writes... He mentions a gimmicky video premise in which he's blindfolded and being fed certain foods and having to put on a show trying to guess what the food is. A banana, for instance. And you're a grown fucking man. And that stuff's embarrassing, he says. Then also, you watch me choke on a banana. <laughs> and then also, you watch me choke on a banana with a blindfold on. How will you believe me when it's 1943 and I'm a- in a prisoner of war camp doing surgery on somebody? 
I just saw him with a banana halfway down his throat on fucking YouTube. Say what you will about Marlon Brando, but he never had to eat a banana on YouTube. <laughs> and that's how we've it got ends. A, we've, no, it's not, babe. Oh, my God. There's a whole other <laughs> Oh, my God. It's not. It's, it's not. It's not. But they love to punctuate these stories with another, like, sign up for the newsletter moment. No, I, I It know. really tricks. Bait and switched me many different times with this profile. No, that's not where it ends. And I actually knew that. I had, like, further notes. <laughs> <laughs> No, it ends on something that we talked about earlier, which is the Marlon Brando profile, yes. which I think is just so special and so good for us. I agree. So good for this This is amazing show. press for us. Yes. <laughs> Tell your friends. I know. And read profiles wherever you go. So Gabriella writes, all these questions, they get to him. He doesn't want to have an answer set in stone only for him to change his mind later and get branded a hypocrite. I mean, look at his tattoos. Elordi has a few minuscule etchings, an abstract clip art drawing of drama masks, a heart, and the very second they were inked on his body, he wanted them removed. Jacob says, I'm wary of having any kind of absolute. I almost feel like for me, I change every single step I take, he says. That's why I really, really, really don't like interviews because you set in stone something as an absolute. And that is so true. It is. There's no true word who's ever spoken. I know. And this is where Gabriella brings up the old Truman Capote profile of Marlon Brando. And I, she asks him if he knew that Brando absolutely hated it. Elordi's face breaks into that trillion dollar movie star grin. The one that makes the girls cry. That makes you want to buy whatever he's selling. That makes producers thank the heavens for him. You see? And I love it. Isn't that funny? Wow. He says, of course. I probably would have too. Mm. Beautiful little book in there. Yeah, yeah. Great way to wrap it up. Yeah. Especially with all the comparisons to old school movie stars. I know. They're all the same is what her commentary is. Yeah. And also this dynamic, this relationship of the journalist and the movie star is eternal and most of the time, the things that get etched in stone, the words that they say, don't represent them five years down the line. And strip them of the mystique that they've worked so hard to cross. Exactly. Marlon Brando never wanted to imprint like his problematic relationship with his mother. No. You know? And it's like, that. that's what a journalist does. It's the humanizing for the public mm-hmm. of a person that does not want to be human. <laughs> no, it's true. And we forget sometimes that we aren't here to serve publicists necessarily. We're here to serve our readers. All I feel like is I'm here to serve publicists. I know. I think I have a problem with validation. I just want people to be proud of me and yeah. happy with me. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think Gabriella does such an incredible job of towing the line between kind of lightly poking fun at him and also giving him the space to really get his self-concept across. Yeah. And I think she asks all of the questions that people have literally been asking. Where, tell me about the bag. Tell me about the bag. Something as silly as the bags. But also, what's his deal? How? Why? Where does he come from? He's still new enough that it's not in the ether, his, his origin story, in the way that I feel like, you know, when we talk about even like a Kristen Stewart where it's like, oh, she got started here as a child actor and then made her way here. Or Natalie Portman in like the Leon in the Professional, where it's like, oh, here's their first role. And then... Well, to your point, it's rare for someone to have risen to this kind of height without child stardom, without yeah. being in the zeitgeist since they were 11. And no nepotism here. No. His mom like worked at his school cafeteria, I think. Really no Dad help along the painter. way. Yeah. Yeah. And Margot's the same. 
I know. That's the only real way you can crack it. And I think they both share that quality outside of being Australian, obviously, that they want it so bad. Yeah. And I think anyone who makes it here from that side of the world only does because they want it so badly. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. In one way or another. They want the lifestyle or they want the career mm-hmm. or they want the point of difference from their friends. But in some way, shape or form, they want it bad enough that they're going to make it work because it's not easy. No. I mean, it just takes a lot for people to leave their home country. Yeah. It takes a lot. It's tough. It took it's, a lot for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's bravery, but it's also kind of like blindness, which is why it's so much easier to do it young. Yes. Because you're just kind of like, I'm just going to hope that it works out. Yeah. To your inspiration. All you have is that hope that it can work out. Yeah. But I remember having full anxiety attacks two days before leaving about how really? I'm going to get a bed was the thing that stuck out to me more than anything else it was like how am i physically going to move a bed i don't know a soul in this country i don't know how people get beds into apartments how am i going to do it yeah the logistics of a life like it's so hard to do it alone especially in a foreign country at 22 or whatever yeah. oh that's so sweet to think about yeah the bed and that is on top of obviously like the bank account the visa the social yeah. security number the finding a job the finding a place to live the credit like, score the credit score which was painfully low for so much of my early life well here. yeah we're the only place that really cares yeah <laughs> It's like the rest of the world not not operating in this way. No, no, exactly. Rest of the world don't have credit cards. No. All my friends at home have debit cards. Understandable. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> they just earn the money and spend it. Yeah. A beautiful system. <laughs> Why hasn't anyone thought of that? Before? I don't know. I don't we just invented debit cards on air. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I loved this story. Me it was too. a total callback to Era's past. Yes. It was so it's so perfect. And it feels really timely, I think. I think people will go see... I mean, people are going to see Priscilla. People are going to go see Saltburn. I want to see it, even though you just liked no, it. No, you should I'm go so see so it. I'm so interested. We will have a riveting discussion about it, I'm sure. Okay. How much do you want to meet him after this? Well, you've met him, but... I've met him, but not really met him. Like, yeah. the quickest of run-ins. I don't even think we were introduced. I've said it on a previous episode, but uh, Alice, mm-hmm. her little sister... Uh, went to primary school with him and we went to a party once and him and Kaya Gerber were there and she connected with him over the fact that they went to primary school in Brisbane together. But I I would love to meet him. I'd love to spend time with him and kind of understand. Like I am always fascinated by the concept of the art bro and how much of it is genuine pretension and how much of it is the box he's fallen into, the way he's being portrayed, because it feels so disingenuous now to have the 35 millimeter camera and the crossbody bag, but that may be genuinely who he is. And that's kind of what I want to understand. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I would totally love to meet him. I think it'd be interesting. I actually think he'd be a great hang. Like he was so fun the night that I met him. Yeah. Oh, he's a... I've heard only incredible things. He's he a was... cancer. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I know that. And I know how to crack those boys. Yeah, you do. I I feel I feel good in my skill set there. I've also just heard only lovely things about him. Like he was repped at a friend's agency and they were like, he's the sweetest in the world. Nothing like his euphoria character. And nothing like some of his euphoria castmates. I no, know. no, actually, I was thinking about <laughs> you spreading a huge rumor. You're like all of them, uh, Lucas Cage. Oh yeah, yeah. but that yeah. wasn't Euphoria. That was White Lotus. I'm HBO, sorry. another HBO property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I mean, this was so good. I would love to talk to Gabriella about this at some stage. She is genius. I she's lo- GQ and she's genius. No, I love her. I love the way she does a profile. It's always so engaging and it's unexpected and just so like personable. It's very. It's for all of us. We've got um, a playlist coming out. 
Tinashe the best inspired. year. Yep. Best year for music. I mean, my God. Justin Bieber also, we've done 2016. Oh, he was yeah. at the height. At the height there. Yeah. I would say this is probably a, you know, it's a gym playlist. It's a getting ready for a huge night out playlist. Oh, there's going to be a lot of check you on there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So come boogie with us. We love you. Share. Follow. Rate. Read. Read. But most importantly, tell everyone you know. Yeah. Because Uncover Girl is just uncovering more and more. Exactly. There's no one better to do it with than you. My beautiful, beautiful Ago. Thanks for being here. Bye. Bye. Uncover Girl is lovingly crafted by Beatrice Hazelhurst and Ivana Ryder. If you want to get even deeper under the covers with us, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash uncovergirl or follow us on Instagram at uncovergirlpodcast. Rate Uncover Girl, write us a review, and share your favorite episode, Sean Mendes, Rolling Stone 2018, anyone? And we will be your forever fans. Love you. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.